A very warm welcome to Fly to Freedom, an eating disorder recovery podcast that aims to give hope and inspiration to others trapped in the dark prison of an eating disorder. To reach out and take steps to recover and fly to freedom and peace. I'm Julia Trahane, your host, an eating disorder recovery coach who is now living in freedom after 40 years of anorexia, orthorexia and exercise addiction. My mission is to give love and support to anyone who feels ready to start their recovery journey. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm very grateful to you for being here. Please like, follow and rate it to enable me to reach others who need help. Right, let's get on with today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fly to Freedom. I have managed to persuade my husband Dave to come back. And we're going to answer some listeners' questions. But first of all, obviously, well, first of all, welcome back. Yes, scared. <laughs> and I've obviously got quick fire questions and I've got some new ones because you've answered them already. So, oh, really? Yeah. What's your favourite food? Well, specifically your lasagna. Okay. What is your favourite season and why? Um, I would say May, June time before I get ridiculously busy. Is that spring then? Well, no, it's late spring. I mean, you know, spring is anything from March to May, isn't it? Okay. So May, June time is early summer before I get ridiculously busy on harvest. Um, but we've still got the weather. I love the weather. Okay. I don't like the cold. What day have you had in your life that you would like to relive? What day in my life? Yeah, think of a day like in your relive. life that was so wonderful you'd like to relive it. Oh, that's an impossible question. I have no idea. No, realistically, you're meant to say your wedding day to me here. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Failed in the first hurdle. You put that in a trick question, didn't you? <laughs> you knew I wouldn't say that. Describe yourself. That's me. Describe yourself in three words. Um, honest, hardworking. I don't know what the word the last one would be. Probably supportive. Yeah, I'd go with that. And the last question is, what is the kindest thing you have ever done for yourself? Um, giving myself a break. Excellent. <clears throat> so we have several listeners' questions. Some are for you, some are for me, and some are for both of us. So a question for both of us is, when did you realise there was a serious problem? What are the signs? What were the signs? Well... In, and we're talking in terms of your eating disorder, I take it. Yeah, this well, is an eating disorder yeah. podcast. <laughs> just, just to share, because yeah, there's all sorts of different problems you could have. Um, well, the, the first time I knew about it was when you told me about it. Um, and the signs were the same thing. You told me. Um, okay. You know, I was, as we said in the, in the last podcast, yeah, you'd been very adept at keeping it hidden. So I didn't know until you told me. How about you? For me, I think it was when 
I finally realized that the control I thought I'd had had control of me mm. and that I literally had no control. I I couldn't have eaten if I'd wanted to. Mm. It, I literally, and that was really scary. I literally had no control. So yeah, when I realized that the eating disorder completely controlled me. And was that the point at which you decided to reach out and, and seek help from other people? No. <laughs> no, I still carried on for quite a while after that. Um, at what point did you realise that you actually had a problem that needed help outside of what you could do for yourself? Um, I think the day I decided to take my life. I think that's when I, I knew that I had nothing left. I knew that I, I couldn't do it on my own anymore. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yes. Oh, this is an interesting question. How did your parents see or react to my struggles? Yours or mine? Both, both of our parents. So for me, my dad's dead. So he didn't see or react in any way, shape or form. And it took me a really long time to actually open up to my mum. I was really scared of doing that. My mum knew quite a long time after everybody else. And she just cried, really. Um, She was incredibly sad, a little bit in denial, but yeah, really sad. Your mum's marbles are running free, so. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair. My mum was somewhat shocked and didn't really understand what I was talking about. Um, You know, in in her generation, an eating disorder, well, eating disorders did exist, um, but they didn't have the prominence and the recognition they have now. Um, so for somebody who is 86, as my mum is, um, it means something completely different yeah. um, to what it would to somebody of our age or, you know, um, or younger than that. Um, so I wouldn't say that it means a lot to her, but she was shocked that you were ill. Yeah. And she's also very, very confused as well, isn't she? Just generally. Um, um, so... I, I would, yeah, I don't really think that's got a box to do with it. Okay. Um, what were the hardest parts of recovery? Well, I'm going to let you... You can go first. No, because I went first last time. <laughs> the hardest parts of your recovery for me, and I think um, that impacts on us, were the recognition that it wasn't just a case of that you were going to get weight restored um, and you know that that wasn't just what recovery is I think the hardest part was um, understanding what the problem 
was in the first place when you first told me and that that trip to Crete and all that sort of stuff and, and I was trying to understand what the heck was going on because I didn't know didn't know anything about eating disorders um and the other once I'd actually got to grips with what was going on the other really hard part for me was trying to understand and recognize the person that you were going to become was very different to the one that I'd married and lived with for, for so long. Um, yeah, that, that was, that was actually quite hard. Yeah, I get that. Um, I think for me, the first one was accepting help. Mm. And so that obviously that was very early on in recovery and realizing that in order to heal I had to feel the feelings and I had to face the fears and start doing looking inside and start doing the inner work and finding out why I had the eating disorder what it why it was created in the first place what it was doing to serve me and yeah all the feelings facing the feelings feeling the feelings but I have to say the fear of feeling the feelings was a lot worse than actually feeling the feelings if that makes sense makes sense to me can I can I add one oh I don't know um well listen to you talking <laughs> talking then I think the other thing that I found particularly hard and and uh, you know really only looking back on it now that you're talking about it is watching you having those feelings and watching you struggle mm-hmm. um with those feelings and watching you forcing yourself to eat when you didn't want to eat when your ed was telling you to do other things um, but you were determined to recover and your determination, man, was, was something else. But actually watching you in, in mental pain um, was also probably one of the hardest things. But you, know, you kind of block that out. Now Now that you're where you are, I've, I've kind of forgotten that until you start to talk about it. Yeah, I just used to sit at the table with tears running oh, down my no. face, didn't I? Trying to eat. Yeah, and of course I, at the other end of the table couldn't actually say anything to you no i i couldn't say to you well for goodness sake just eat it's <laughs> just it's just food for goodness sake everyone else in the family is eating and you're sat there but you know looking like that just you know it, it, i can't i can't do that that's not supportive no it's not um so yeah you know that that's um, that's a different role for for us Okay, we have another question here. Did you get educated on my eating disorder and recovery by reading any books or anything? Um, This listener is finding it really hard to explain what she's going through to her husband Mm. because it's such a lived experience kind of thing and she's feeling really isolated and disconnected. Yeah, Yeah, that's a, a really good really good question actually um when we went to crete i read two books whilst we were in crete that were some of the first two books that you got 
to understand the condition yourself. And I remember you read them, then I read them. Yes. Um, I can't remember what they were, but I was determined to try and understand as much as I could about what you were going through. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not a great reader, folks. Um, yes. I really, I just don't. <laughs> I'll sit by the pool and read, I'm sure, but any other time you won't find um, anything other than uh, factual books in my hand. Um, so yes, I did. Um, and I would recommend anybody that's supporting somebody with an eating disorder to read what your um, other half, whoever it is that you're supporting is reading, um, because that way you're probably aren't going to be on the same page. Um, you know, and also the other way that I educated, um, I was educated about what you were going through was making sure that I had an open communication with you. Yeah, I did try and share as much as I could, probably more from books and podcasts with you. Yeah. It took me quite a while to be able to share my feelings yeah. and how it was directly affecting me. And so, yeah, I did feel pretty isolated at times. Um, Would it be fair to, to say that you as somebody who had the eating disorder um you know approaching me who obviously had no idea what was going on um you know it's 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 very important that i'm as supportive as i can of you how would you recommend that other people approach their loved ones and 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 you know try and make sure they've got the support they need um I think by asking what support they think could be helpful, asking if there's any podcasts, books, programs, websites, anything that they can look at that would help them to understand and be supportive. And just, I suppose the most supportive thing was for you to take up the responsibility responsibility for the practical side of things so that I could focus on recovery because I was such a perfectionist and so worried about anything being out of place and needing everything to be perfect all the time that that actually not being able to do everything and worrying about it was really really hard so when you took up the practical side of things and started doing more of that and accepted that perhaps I would not be completely satisfied with how well you'd done them and I would complain every time you folded the washing wrong yeah it's a thing <laughs> yeah um but not getting narky about that and not answering, like saying, oh, for God's sake and stuff, just accepting that that was just part of me and part of the perfectionism. Um, that was probably one of the most helpful things. So I guess a lot of patience is required. Yes. And the last part of this question is, how did you start to feel connected to each other again? I, I, it, it comes back to communication yeah doesn't it 
Would you I agree? think it does, very much so. But it also, <clears throat> excuse me, comes back to um, when I was starting to become more nourished and less in the like survival response. So my brain was actually able to function in a slightly calmer way. Um, I think there was quite a disconnect for quite a while, if I'm honest. Mm. And you were doing the best you could, and I was doing the best I could. But there was a disconnect. Yeah. And I think that's natural. And I, yeah, I think a lot of it came down to when I was, I actually had the mental capacity to be more connected. Mm. And you, you went through... Uh, a big period in your recovery when you weren't able to make any decisions. Yes. Learning and literally didn't have capacity to do anything. Um, yeah, the period when you were focusing on weight restoration and nourishing your body again um, and trying to right the, the, the balance and um, frankly the damage that you, you'd done um, with that. Um, and the only things that your body could really do was to eat only when you told it to eat mm -hmm. and to lie on on the sofa and, and really do as little as possible so that your body was keeping as much of those nutrients in you rather than exercising them back out again yeah and and only by doing that did you get the clarity back again in, in your mind which then allowed you to to get that connect back with back with me yeah yeah, and you're right, I couldn't make decisions. I literally had no, not even the most simple decision, mm. like what to watch on TV. I couldn't make a decision. Yeah, and you are the queen of the TV controls. I so now was... have the TV controls back within yes. my control. Um, so all is all is restored. <laughs> everything, is, everything is okay in the Drain household now. Yeah. We don't have to watch random weird stuff that you choose. Um, okay, were there any unexpected aspects of recovery greatest unexpected joys in recovery <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah i'll let you go first then because immediately your mind is dropped below your trouser line <laughs> yeah yeah um sexy time was great time wasn't it uh, that, was a, that was a definite bonus um, okay. I'm a guy, what can I say? Um, so that was fantastic. Um, what, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> For me, <laughs> um, I suppose getting a sex drive was an unexpected joy, but actually it was to start experiencing life, like not just feel trapped in this tiny wee cage that just comprised of the eating disorder and worry and anxiety but to start seeing things around me and appreciating nature and just realizing that the world was so much bigger than the torment that was in my head. I um, I remember several times when we would be out and about and you would just stop and go, wow, I never appreciated this before. Do you remember that walk we went on and there was all these ruins and I was like, oh, wow, look at the ruins. And yeah. you're like, We've been here a million times before. They've always been there, and yeah. I'd never ever seen them. Yeah. So I'd never seen what was around me. Yeah. 
Okay, in the previous podcast, you both described tension between you over sex and intimacy with me not wanting it and you feeling rejected. Do you have any advice for navigating this very tricky and little talked about area? That's probably a question for you because I think that's coming from somebody who has an eating disorder and you've managed to navigate it. So that's probably a question for you to answer first. Okay. Um, I did journal about it a lot. Um, I do remember <laughs> one entry going, sex is the elephant in the room. <laughs> um, I think we did try to talk about it a few times and it just dissolved into tension and disagreements sort of early on. I think that was pre... No, it was during recovery. Okay. It was when I was gaining weight and I could not even tolerate the idea of you seeing me without mm. clothes on. Or even with clothes on was quite a struggle for a while, actually. Um, I think... I had to focus on what was right for me mm. and I just had to let you feel rejected mm. and I had to be okay with you being rejected. Um, and I think that I don't think I could have done it any other way because I literally needed to focus on myself and that sounds quite selfish, but it was actually self-care because I had to be able to accept my own body before I could accept that you could accept my body. Mm. So yeah, I just had to let you feel rejected, but I had to also have compassion for you for feeling rejected and compassion for myself for how I felt rather than being angry at myself for making you feel rejected. I, I think the, the best advice that I could give somebody in this situation is to benefit from, from our experience that we've been talking about both on the last podcast and also on this one. Um, it's not, an, it's not a, a subject that gets talked about a lot. Um, and I think explaining that situation to your loved one and saying to them that you know, this is part of recovery and that you need to be feeling a lot more confident in yourself before you can have that sort of intimacy with your loved one, um, you know, and explain that you understand that it's hard for them as well um, and that it's not going to be forever, but they need to um, support you in your recovery. Um, you know, it is incredibly hard for a guy um, to go through a dry period. Um, you know, guys have, you're about to stop me. No, you no? Get, carry okay. on. You know, guys... In your opinion, this is... Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. In your experience. In, in, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, it is, it is very, very hard for, for, in my experience, for guys to go, to go through a dry period. Um, and, um, 
yeah, I think being understanding of that and talking about it, using the benefit of the experience that, that we've had, um, would be the way that I would try and navigate that if I was going to go through that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I did reassure you that I wanted to want it. You did, but I wasn't yeah. in that place at that time, and whilst I understood and had compassion for the effect it had on you, I still had to focus on my recovery Hmm. because when all said and done, that was the most important thing. And and actually understanding that that is part of the recovery, not that you have, you had gone off me or, you know, it had a, that it didn't have a bigger um, meaning. Yeah. um, is important as well because you know, it'd be very easy for, for me to just think that well you just you just don't like me anymore yes that's um, a really valid point actually and yeah yeah to to reassure each other yes that there was still a lot of love there and that intimacy could take a back seat until such time as the sexy breaks comes along and hits you like a freight train um yeah so what are the biggest changes in our relationship now that I've recovered? I think our communication is amazing. Yes. I think we're a lot more open with each other yes. than we ever were. I mean, we we never had a bad marriage. No. We're blessed. But I think our marriage is stronger. I think we're more open. And I think we both have more respect for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, yeah, that's basically pretty much what I would say. Um, and you are more confident. Yes. A lot more confident than you used to be. I, I remember that if there was a phone call to be made, I don't know, maybe we needed to phone a plumber or I don't know, I'm just giving examples here, but there's no way that you would pick up that phone um, and you'd have much less of a problem with it now than you did back then. Um, so you have much more confidence. Um, I think I'm able to accept love. Yes. And I wasn't. I could give but never receive. And I think that's made a huge difference. It's and that has a a, makes a difference to me as well because I'm also a giver, and having being a giver to somebody who can't receive um, is 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 hard, and and, yeah, that's much easier now as well. Yeah. Is there anything either of us would have done differently in the whole recovery process? That's a really good question. And for me, I think it unfolded the way it had to unfold. We have a we have a saying, don't we? It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, and I think that applies to to everything. Would we do anything differently? No, I think it's unfolded and, and we have dealt with whatever has come up in the way that seemed to be appropriate at the time. Maybe not every time was the right way, but well, define right. Yeah. Okay, so I have some direct questions to you now. Oh, no. Now I'm getting really worried. 
you said in the last podcast that you weren't sure that you would like the recovered Julia. Yes. What did you mean by this? And do you really feel that I'm a different person now I'm recovered? Okay, I'll answer that slightly backwards. Uh, yes, you are a completely different person now um, than you were before. Um, what did I mean by that? Well, let's put that into context. That was part of a discussion that we were both talking about what you were going to be like after recovery. And we both said that we didn't know who you were going to be and what you were going to be like. Um, and having lived with somebody for as long as we've been together, um, which is over 30 years, um, and for to, to realise that the entirety of that time um, has been due to an eating disorder, um, I had no idea absolutely no idea how much you would change in what way you would change and whether that person was going to be um what i would think of that person it, it really does it's, it's as simple as that um as it happens um, the judah that's come out the other side is amazing um, i'm not going to lavish you with <laughs> um with too much <clears throat> this time um but Yes, it's turned out very, very well indeed. So to clarify the change, I think that the essence of me, what makes me me is the same. Yes. I think that the way I love nature, the way I love animals, how I want to help people, the fact that I'm quite a quiet and gentle person, mm -hmm. all that's the same. The, what makes me me never changed, mm -hmm. but how I can communicate it, the way I can feel excitement and passion and the way I can be confident and love who I am and stand up for myself and say what I want yes. and receive and give and just enjoy and feel that's all changed. But we didn't know that back then. No. No, but what I'm saying is, yes, I'm a different person in how I approach the world, but the essence of me, that's the, still the same. I'm still the same person inside. And I think for other people um, who are at that stage now and you know, whenever they, they listen to, to this podcast, um, I think it's important to, to emphasise that, um, that, yes, post-recovery um, you, know, you are different but like you say you know the actual real core of you yeah the bits that come from love really because yeah. we're all born loving ourselves yeah. and loving who we are yeah. and that those parts of me that come from love they're still there yeah. and it's just the, the fear parts the anxiety that's all gone yeah yeah it's an overall positive experience so much. Massively. In the last podcast, I told you how challenging your exercise routine was for me. Did you realise how hard that was for me at the time? No. Nope. And why did you continue to do it when I told you? Um... And that's just a question, yeah. not a criticism. No, no. 
That's fine. Um, no, I had no idea that it was it was hard for you. Actually, um, I didn't. In some aspects, I didn't realise it was hard for you until very very recently, like a few weeks ago. <laughs> the last podcast. The last podcast. <laughs> In and, and I'm being genuine with that. I had I, that was something that came out of that last podcast that I wasn't fully aware of until that time. Um, why did I carry on with it? Well, the the things that I enjoy in life um, and things that make me, me, um, involve those activities. Um, and if I gave up the things that make me, me, and that I enjoy, um, then I would be doing a disservice to myself. Um, so Self-love then. Self-love. Um, and I believe that there is a balance to be had um and you know i hope that you know we both understood each other well enough and um you know we got through it do you think my eating disorder affected your own relationship with food and exercise no. and do you think it affected our children's relationship with food and exercise mm, interesting one no it didn't affect my relationship with food and exercise i love both um i always have loved both and i always will love both um how did it affect our children's relationship on balance it did i think it probably did do you remember finn as a little boy and he used to if he had any sweets or anything he'd go and get some fruit to make up for it yeah that was the orthorexia <laughs> part of it wasn't it yeah i, I have no concerns with our kids with food and their relationship with food now, now no no i if i could go back and do that differently i would but i have owned it and shown them through my words actions etc that i was wrong and that it was disordered and that that's not the food freedom. And I think they all respect that. Um, but I think it undoubtedly did affect them. Mm. Okay. Eating disorders are often characterized by secrecy and lies, both to ourselves and others. Did you see this in me and how did you cope with it? I don't know that you did see it. I didn't, no. I was very, very good at lying and covering up. You were, you were ninja level <laughs> at doing that. Um, the, the short answer is no, I didn't. Okay. What were the hardest compromises you had to make for me during recovery? Ooh, that's an interesting question, isn't it? What were the hardest compromises I had to make for you in recovery? Well, just in general, I suppose. I don't I don't know that compromise is, is really something that I've had. I don't know, really. I, I think maybe um, you know, stepping up and and doing more um, on top of a job um, and all that sort of stuff and doing more of the stuff that, that you were doing within the family. Um, it wasn't, none of it was, has been, of that side of things has been hard, I would say. 
because it is what it is yeah and you just get on with it um so I, I don't know that compromise is really something that I've had to do per se just roles have changed or they did change for a while um whilst you recovered I how I see it and please say if if this is wrong my interpretation of what I think was hardest for you was not being able to fix anything to literally watching me suffer and in pain and not having anything that you could do to change that oh that's certainly true yeah um yeah that that is that is certainly true as as we said in the last podcast i'm 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 a fixer yeah Um, and i also feel and i think you just say this a couple of times that um you struggled with the fact that I confided in my coach more than I confided in you and that she probably knew more about me and how I felt than you did. Um, I think we can take it back a stage further. The I struggled the most in the early stages with the fact that you confided in um your friends in that you even had a problem before you spoke to me yeah that that i struggled with um and if i was to think back on it which i don't anymore but if i was to think back on it i would still have a problem with that um you know it's it was to to me not feeling that you could confide in me um was um this is going to sound stronger than it actually was but it's it felt like a kick in the teeth um and that we're supposed to be a team and you're supposed to share things with me um and and that was hard um in terms of can i just talk to that for a minute (laughs) um i get that that was hard i do understand that was hard at the time I didn't have, I had very little cognitive capacity. I couldn't think things through. And when you say I confided in my friends before I confided in you, what the actual truth is, is that you were very rarely in because it was the middle of harvest season and they saw me a lot more than you did. And they saw me passing out at the gym they saw me like passing out on walks they saw me getting thinner and thinner they saw me they saw me Mm. and you didn't and so they knew without me telling them Mm. because they were with me yeah but you did come back and tell me that you passed out at the gym and you passed it off as something completely different rather than actually saying, I've got a problem. Um, so, you know, there's, there, it swings and roundabouts. It swings and roundabouts. I think so, they saw I had a problem before I saw I had a problem. Yeah, or before I faced the truth that I had a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I think maybe your interpretation of that is harsher than the reality of mm-hmm. it. Quite possibly. But possibly certainly at the time. Um, in terms of um, your coach 
um, knowing more about you than than I did. Um, I could have have made that mean more than it does. Um, I didn't because um, you know I think that's the right sort of thing. You you need somebody that you can tell your deepest darkest secrets to. Mm-hmm. Um, in a safe place um, with total trust um, that it's not going to impact on you for, uh, you know, if, if it goes wrong, it's not going to impact on you for the rest of your life. Um, and it's right that, that's, you know, she's an amazing person as well. So you know, that would have, will have helped. Um, so no, I, I don't make that mean any more than it is. Okie dokie. Right, um, so there's a question for me here. Why did you want to get better? What were you aiming for? You'd lived with your eating disorder for such a long time, so how did you keep faith that recovery was possible? Great question. Really good question. So to that, I would like to say that, I'm gonna go backwards on it actually. How did I keep faith that recovery was possible? Um. I think it was just hope, to be honest. And I knew what not being recovered felt like. And I knew how shit it was and how bad I felt. And so I didn't believe that recovery could be worse than living an eating disorder. And I, as I said previously, researched it so, so much and I have still to this day never ever come across somebody that's regretted recovering. Mm. So that said to me that A, it's possible because other people have done it. And if they've done it, why can't I? And that it's got to be better because nobody regrets it. How you have to put in the work. Oh, so much. You have yeah. to put you in the work. You have to allow yourself to be uncomfortable. Um, and How to feel the feel? feeling terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Um, so much, literally, you just it's the fear is almost indescribable, but again, it comes back to the fear of facing the fear is much worse than just getting on and doing it. And as soon as you start getting on and doing it when you're facing it, it turns into courage. I I remember many times when you're eating, you you told me actually um, that you had to be almost robotic about it. Yeah, very much so. Literally robotic about it. Yeah, I did not want a single bite of the food I was eating. To swallow it was like monumental effort. And especially seeing as I had such digestive issues as well. Um, And literally every time I ate, I was then in the toilet losing it, not through purging, just through having really gastric gastric issues. Um, And it it was like, I'm going through all this effort to eat this food that's just literally going straight through me. And so that was really hard to deal with because that just felt so pointless because I couldn't see how I could wait the store when that was happening. But what was actually happening was that my body was relearning how to digest food and how to hold food in. And I had to go through that 
for my body to relearn and then I could start to weight restore once my body had started to settle. And the gastric problems lasted for a year. Mm. Such a long time. Something I think you did very, very well though um, is, and, and dare I say, you did what you were told. I did. I did everything did my exactly coach told me. I was really told. compliant because she had done recovery and she had reached, I suppose, the other side, the the dreamland mm. that we all hope for. Yeah. Um, but she'd done it. So she knew how to do it. She knew the way. And I hadn't done it. So I had to trust that she knew what she was talking about and just do as I was told. So, yeah, I was incredibly compliant, even though every part of me didn't want to be. I remember lots of swear words. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> um, why did I want to get better? Because living in the eating disorder was hell. Quite simply, it wasn't living, it was existing. And it was getting worse and worse. And I had lost any control. Like, I had no control. And I had no desire to carry on living. So it was do or die. Well, what was I aiming for? Well, that nirvana, that mm. that land of love and freedom um, that you dream of, that other people get that you don't believe is possible, that is so possible and so amazing and just indescribably different from how living in the eating disorder was. All right, let me just have a quick look through here if there's any other questions. That's a good round of questions. It's a very good round of questions. At what point, this is to both of us, and I think this can be the last question because it's a beautiful question to end on. At what point did you know and did I know that I was recovered? That's a really beautiful question. Really beautiful question to end on. And for me, no, actually, I'm going to let no, you go. No, no, I want you to no, go no, first. No, please do go first. I don't, I I'm, I've got to think about the answer more. <laughs> for me, it was when I realised that I truly love who I am and I want to look after myself. Because when you love somebody, you don't want to hurt them. And I love who I am. And I don't want to hurt myself anymore. I think for me, it is watching you, um, you know, uh, acting normally with meals and um, you know social situations and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, you went for breakfast, I think, with some of your friends. And you came back, and you know it was it was uh, the first time you'd been out with them for a little while during mm -hmm. recovery. And um, you know you'd eaten a, a full breakfast, you'd eaten a full meal with them, um, and you hadn't felt the anxiety that you'd felt um, previously. Um, and it was just you going out for a meal with your mates um, and having a nice social time. Um, that was a, a real indication that you were recovered. So it's more about the food for you. I suppose because mm. the eating disorder was more about the food for you. 
Oh yeah, I mean I, I don't I don't have a window. Uh, <laughs> thankfully. Yes, thankfully. Into so, your mind. I have no idea what's going on in your mind, but the all I see is your attitude towards food and mm-hmm. are you, A, are you eating? Um, are you looking scared when you're eating? Are you displaying anything that is is eating disorder related, you know, around food? Okay. Uh, and when that stopped. Happy days. I think there's one other thing for me now is when I come across something that scares me, I'm not scared to face it at all. Um, Yeah, it scares me. Yes, I feel the fear. And part of me is a little bit excited by that because it's another opportunity to grow, another opportunity to gain more freedom in life and become a higher version of myself Mm. and so i'm not afraid of facing fear at all yeah Uh, and yeah you are still finding things oh absolutely i even rescued myself from a spider last week very proud (laughs) um no that's kind of insignificant isn't it but never mind (laughs) (laughs) i was very proud i rescued myself from a spider Um, Anyway, thank you so much for listening and thank you, Dave, for coming back and (laughs) answering all these questions. And I'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do remember to give me a follow and a five-star rating. This will enable me to reach more people that need help. If you would like to talk to me about how to work with me and you're ready to take the next step, just check out my website at juliatrahane.com. Thank you for listening. I'm so grateful.